It's the 10th of March, 2015, and this is the audio podcast, episode 144, Tap Trio Treat. Welcome back, Scott Hewitt, after your one-week absence. I'm Samuel Freeman and Adam Yanch. How's it going? Yeah, yeah, it's going okay. Um, yes, audio podcast, of course. You can follow our notes. Uh, this week's show is 144, entitled Tap Trio Treat. And you can get to the notes at theaudiopodcast.co.uk forward slash show forward slash 144. And then you will get links to all the things we are talking about, which begins with news. And the first item of news is a new piece of software, a new from Waves. It's called Tracks Live, and it's a multi-track recorder intended for use in live situations. Imagine that. Indeed. But if you actually go to this, uh, the website linked from the notes... I mean, it kind of tells you a little bit about it, but that's it. I mean, there's like, there's no, you don't even get a good picture of the actual software. Yeah, and even if you play the embedded video there, it doesn't tell you much, very early. It's kind of, yeah. I found, yeah, I had to dig quite quite a bit on this, but if you go to the download page, it's a free download, um, and the source code appears to be available. Um, I was able to download it by signing in to Waves, but I haven't looked at looked at it. Yeah, but so you can get the software for free and run it. Um, but if you pay ninety nine dollars, then you get technical support and also um, priority updates. And currently, for a limited time, although they don't say how limited, you'll get a free copy of Waves Multi Rack software, which is normally six hundred dollars. So, oh. yeah. That's their way into the market. It is. And, go on. What does multi-rack do? Well, yeah, if you, it's, it's a good question. <laughs> Last time I mentioned, it was me, I brought Waves up recently when they had something else, and they were talking, oh yeah, when they were great cross-grading from their native to their other type of things. <laughs> what's, what's the name of the hardware that I brought up last time? Products... Um, Sound grid, their sound grid systems. Yep. So the real waves really seem to be pushing into the, encouraging people to use their plugins in real time situations in live performance rather than just in studio. So getting their plugins out of the DAW and into live racks, which is kind of cool, I think. And yeah, because yeah, you can use the Modirack, um, you can use Modirack sound grid um, directly with something like an X32 or Persona Studio Live systems, uh, Midas Venice, uh, Machionics as well. So, but is uh, is Multirack? Say you were going to buy Tracks Live and get Multirack for free, is Multirack something that you can just use? You know, if you don't have any other Waves products, or or is it something that's like an update, uh, like a you need to have SoundGrid or some other Waves things to make it actually worth it? I think you can run it. You can run multi-rack on a computer. You could just run it on a Mac Mini or whatever. Um, obviously, the thing is that you're limited because it's processing and it's you know processing as fast as possible. So you're going to have a limited number of plugins that you can use simultaneously. You know, it all depends on processing power. But it will run on other. As far as I can tell, I'm not an expert on this. So I've done a, you know a bit of reading yesterday and today, and that's as far as I can tell. It seems to be the case. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, if you uh, if you are kind of worried that you don't have enough processing power, well, 
I'm not sure if Apple's new uh, range of computers announced yesterday are going to help you very much, but uh, let's go into them anyway. Yeah, that's. I haven't. I um, haven't heard anything about these. So, in, in, oh, you see, this is the interesting thing is that um, I I wasn't following the keynote because I tend to get annoyed with keynotes. But I saw the news as it was coming in, maybe a couple of hours behind, and. You know, there are some interesting things, um, the main one being Apple's, um, not reveal, but uh, confirmation and pricing of Apple Watch uh, models. That's not relevant to us. Um, uh, but I didn't see any news. Uh, like, no one was interested on Facebook. No one I know on Facebook mentioned at all Apple or any Apple product last night. There's a little bit of talk on Twitter, but it didn't seem to generate a huge amount of... Um, buzz. The significant thing for us in the audio podcast is computers um, and specifically there's the return of the MacBook. <clears throat> but it's a different kettle of fish. Um, have either of you seen the new MacBook? Yes and uh, retina, retina screen, incredibly thin, all, all that sort of stuff which it's kind of good, but then there's the kind of the new USB port as well, isn't there? The Type C USB port. Uh, this is the controversial thing. It's yeah. uh, yes, a new a new type of USB port that's been in you know preparation for a while. Apple are usually the first to put new ports on their computers. Unfortunately, in this case, it is at the um, basically they they they're putting one USB C port on their computer one headphone jack, and that's it. All the other ports have been removed. And I I just don't know. I'm just so confused as to... Have they, they, they've taken the Thunderbolt port off as well? Yeah, there's there's one... Um, they've taken the charging port off. There's one port yeah. that's not the headphone jack, and that's one USB-C port, and that's for charging and peripherals, all the peripherals you'll need... Apple are hoping that you'd use their wireless um, technologies to take the uh, onus off needing to use USB for such things. So uh, AirDrop for file transfer and other types of things like using Bluetooth and these kinds of things. But still, two ports would be nice. Um, also announced has been a, a $79 dongle. So basically this is going to be a computer you need to... <laughs> automatically spend $80 more on because you're going to need a dongle, uh, which plugs into the USB-C port, provides one USB-C port to charge, I guess, one HDMI port for uh, video output, and one extra USB-3 <laughs> port. So That's amazing. It's ridiculous. You're actually losing your C port to get one USB-3 connector on a, on a B-jack. I mean, what, what on earth? I, I, what just, I don't get it. I don't get it, Scott. Ah. I, well, I, just be glad that you're not part of like some sort of business who have been uh, panicking their way through to getting Thunderbolt so, support sorted out. <laughs> well, or sound cards, because that's, uh, that's, that's looking like a bad bet. Well, you might be able to run Thunderbolt over USB-C, because it's an open standard. So well, well, I, I would agree with that. If you want, 
That'll well, be brilliant if you want to run Firewire on one of these. You have a USB-C to Thunderbolt connector, and then you have a Thunderbolt to Firewire connector, and probably Thunderbolt 800, uh, Firewire 800 to Firewire 400. So you're going to be converting about four times. Fantastic. Um, but the important thing to note is that the MacBook Airs are still, you know, they're still around. The MacBook Pro with Retina and with non-Retina still around. Um, mm. Most of those have also received an update for their CPUs. Um, not a huge amount of processing increase. It's the Broadwell architecture, so a bit more um, battery life, I think, is to be gained from those models. And those were updated yesterday too. So, yeah, 15-inch uh, MacBook Pros will be updated later in the year, I heard. Is that to remove all of their universal support in favour of this oh. not-so-universal 3 thing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> all the ports off the side of the machine. I mean, I think what we'll find... I, my gut feeling is that Apple are going to replace the MacBook Air line with this new MacBook line for the low end, but they're yeah. going to continue using... You know, we'll get Mac MacBook Bretoners with... Uh, MacBook Pro Retina screens with USB-C on them, but mm. they'll have all the ports, you know, all the ports you need. So it's not gonna, they're not going to make only computers with one port because that would be uh, suicide. It kind of it puts the gives the Pro part of the name perhaps a bit more meaning again. Like maybe you know, has ports. You can have a MacBook which is just gives you access to our operating system or. You can have a MacBook Pro that let you actually do things. It, it won't. It won't be the MacBook Pro. It would be the MacBook ports. <laughs> MacBook with extra ports. Yeah. Well, but okay. So a, a couple of quick things. I'm saying obviously when you see the thinness of the machine, you can see why they only had why they've got to have this one, the one USB-C type port there because you can. There isn't room for anything else, is there? So. There's, yeah. there's that thing. And Thunderbolt is not getting traction at all in anything but the Mac world. And Apple probably realized that in the same way that Firewire died, Thunderbolt will die if they can't get anybody else to get on board with it properly. And they've pretty much failed in that. Like, nobody else is on board with Thunderbolt. So I like it's... Thunderbolt. Oh, no, like, Thunderbolt, like Firewire, is great technology. And like Firewire, is almost certainly doomed. Like... Well, that was right a long time before it died. It's only recently that you know it's only Thunderbolt that killed off Firewire in a way. Oh, yeah. well, yeah, but what I mean is they never, you, you know, I mean the idea that you would end up with you know Firewire printers and things like this just never, you know, I mean they, and that's part of the problem, wasn't it? You ended up having to have all these different things. So the consolidation makes sense, but this is horrible for the user. But then it's only horrible for the user who actually needs anything else. Like the only thing I plug into my into my Mac is my sound card and my I plug a sound card in, I plug a webcam in, so that's all to do with this. And then I also, you know, I have a separate kind of keyboard and stuff because I, you know, I don't like using the Mac keyboard. So I have a keyboard plugged into it as well. The problem with that is you're already if you want to charge at the same time, you've already run out of ports even with a dongle. So well, well, precisely, but the point I'm making is I could use a Bluetooth keyboard and mouse. Well, I'm actually using a Bluetooth trackpad anyway, so and, my blue, and a Bluetooth keyboard. I could do that, and if the sound card would have to come in, but, you know, but then they maybe don't want they want rid of the sound card. I've, I think this might actually be kind of related to the story we just had, because I was sitting there thinking, 
the waste story is kind of like the return to propri it's like the return to proprietary hardware that does particular jobs you know in the same way that like the old digi design core systems and stuff like that had you know had those sort of features inside them and you kind of wonder if if those people have been looking at the at the Apple kind of platform and thinking, how are we ever going to plug any anything into these machines again? Then maybe they've just been super smart because now you you build your own piece of hardware that people connect to and work with, and then you control it remotely from the general purpose computer, and that's the new solution. And and it's all going through RJ forty five connectors because Ethernet wires are kind of everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah but not in the new Mac. Not the new Macs. And yeah. in fact, the only Mac, the only Mac laptop that will have an RJ45 is the still available MacBook Pro without Retina, which still has a CD drive, still has a spinning hard drive, um, yeah. it has all those niceties, but is probably the heaviest of the bunch of the computers. Um, I mean, the Apple's like like this dogma about having the thinnest laptop and it's just pointless I just don't get it the MacBook Air is fine you're not the target audience so that's the thing they want to push you into buying a Mac Pro well yeah I'm not the target audience because I need the extra facilities of a MacBook Pro but I did have a MacBook Air and even then I was limited because it didn't. That was one that didn't have Thunderbolt, so I only had two USB ports, and I thought that was sometimes not quite enough. It doesn't have a a, a networking port. It didn't have da da da, but it was just enough for me. And I, but the actual machine itself was light enough, thin enough. It doesn't need to be ultra thin. I just don't get it. I don't understand why it's important for something to be... It's a it's a laptop. It doesn't have to be ultra thin. We'll get to the point where they make a laptop so thin that you get paper cuts when you pick it up, you know? Yeah. Well, didn't, wasn't there a thing immediately after the, the last Apple thing, and the, the new iPhone that was so thin and was bending in people's pockets? And stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. The... Uh... Was it the current one, the new one, the six? Perhaps. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like to thinness to a point, and then it just becomes like this pointless thing that you're chasing but... for no real gain. Like I would much rather have a MacBook with two USB C ports or three USB C ports and make it slightly thicker and you could have that many USB C ports and then it makes sense. But the I suspect the bandwidth of the USB, I'm saying, this USB-C port is a USB 3 edition, isn't it? And it's a physical it's a physical compatibility problem, not a software compatibility problem. So that means that you are going to be able to, you know, it's it's super clunky, but you'll be able to get the, you know, the USB dongle and then plug a USB hub into the USB port and then you can have seven USB yeah, ports. If you, you have to carry you know. around the USB hub. And USB hub is horrible... USB a horrible, bulky, u ugly things which litter your table, and if you have to car carry that around with an extra plug, you lose the benefit of having such a thin laptop. It's it's kind of silly. I think the reason, the other reason is they've really gone because they've they've gone for the Broadwell M type um, chipset from Intel, mm. which is the lower power one, and I think well, they're really trying to maximise the battery. Um, and so take away all the ports, take away as much as possible to... Like, they've taken away the glowing Apple on the back of the screen and replaced it with an iPad-like black shiny one. And yeah. 
that is, you know, just save a little bit of power right there. The, th the thing I do like about this new machine is it comes in three different colors. <laughs> I think that's something that everybody has wanted since the MacBook white and black model. Yeah. <laughs> you don't Sam, you that. had a black MacBook, didn't you? I did. I was Sam holding back. Yeah. I had that. It's. It kind of still goes. It's fun's broken. You, can, you have to take. If you run it without the battery in, you can get about an hour out of it yeah, before it overheats. There's there's another link with the new MacBook then, which hasn't got a fan. That's the other thing is the new MacBook doesn't have a fan. Yeah. It runs the Broadwell M. Anyway. Um, there, there we go. So we it, can talk about this forever. It, it does sound like we could go through it. Let's just go for the quick uh, the quick ask here. Then I think I know the answers. Adam, are you going to get one? No. Sam, you going to get one? No. I'm not either. There we go. But bring <laughs> multicolored. Multicolor and, and multiple USB C ports to the MacBook Pro line, and we'll talk. And we'll talk. And we'll talk. <laughs> I think I like a lot of people. I come to this conclusion. I, I was trying to summarize there and then, but we failed. But I think, like a lot of people, the, the plastic kind of uh, Intel MacBook version 2.1, the, the 2 the 2 1 model, that's the one that I think we've all we all had one. I really just would like another one of those, please, with like a, a modern CPU in it. Just exactly the same, you know, Ethernet. All the ports. I don't even want the big screen. Just you know, another one of those boxes, please, for another decade. That'd be fine. But yeah. Well, I think you're just... a MacBook Air guy, Scott. I think you'd go for a MacBook Air next. Seems as we're know. massively off topic anyway. Before we move away, um, on the subjects of Retina screens. Um, you can't see the pixels on them with your eyes, which is you know conceptually for me, I like. I, I'm always aware that. Yeah, like my research in the past was based on the fact that we're, lo we're looking at pixels here, blah, blah. You, but you can't see the pixels anymore on Retina screen. But um, I was at my brother's house and he had a little, I brought this up and he's got a little plastic thing he got on Kickstarter. I'll have to plunder this next week. It's a little lens that you stick onto your mobile device camera and it makes it into a super zoom like about 25 times. Oh, yeah. And with that, we were able to take... He had, he had a um, mobile device that's made by Sony. I don't know which one it was. And it also has impossibly small pixels. But by taking it in turns, we were able to take photos with our devices of the other screen's pixels. So I have seen the retina screen pixels kind of remotely via other tiny pixels. Hurrah! Just while we're off topic, I thought I'd bring that up. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Moving on to topic, uh, Steinberg have released a, a, new, a new audio interface, which... Um, Requires a port that doesn't exist on the new Macs. Um, uh, oh! So it's the uh, Steinberg UR242, which is a 4 times 2 USB 2 uh, audio interface. It has two D pre uh, preamps on it, which are Yamaha built preamps, and 192 kilohertz support as well at Ooh. 24 bits. So good going, good pretty, pretty good spec, um, pretty good spec box there. Uh, so 24, 24 bit 192k the preamps as well. There is a DSP Mix Mix FX which is a um, latency free hardware monitoring for the system as well. Also um, an FX suite on board as well with onboard DSP processing as well in there as well. Um, drivers for everything you'd want and also um, it does support the iPad connectivity control as well. They're really catching up. So the first audio interfaces when Steinberg and Yamaha got together, they were not particularly convincing, but this is this is starting to look good. Um, this is a great looking kit. Something that's really cool, are you ready for this one? No. It has, <laughs> here we go, 
no, no, this, this will, this will, you, you won't get this first of all, and then when you think about it, you will. It has a DC power in line. DC power mm. in line. Yeah, so so you don't need to plug it into a computer. You can plug this. You can plug this into the power. Yeah. And, and then, then run. And then use the preamps, or use the F, use the monitoring, or use the FX processing as a. But how do you unit. how do you configure it all without connecting it to a computer? Oh. Is it just going to remember the last settings on yeah, there? Yeah. Yeah. Just But it's not like I'm meant to, where you can actually go into the system while it's not plugged in and still configure it. Yeah. Have you ever tried to do that? Well, I know it's probably harder than, um, you know, some something I can't think of right now. Um, yes. One, one it, thing it's is, where you have to hold in certain dials and then turn them in different directions depending on what things you want to do, none of which is documented on the panel at all. Well, some people yes. like programming Yamaha DX7s, so, you know... <laughs> That's an improvement. Um, the one problem is Scott. The yes. link in this in the notes at theaudiopodcast.co.uk forward slash so forward slash one four four goes nowhere. No, I think it's been fixed. There was just an oh, element fixed. Oh, maybe I haven't. Yeah, really they, they, you haven't. You haven't refreshed your page. I haven't refreshed my page. Uh, Good shout, Adam. Thanks, Bad shout. Bad shout. Yeah. Can I bring? Can I talk about pixels again? It's re- it is relevant this time. Um, okay, then. So the first news item was the Tracks Live software, and that has a recommended screen resolution of 1024 by 768, which means that it would run on an older monitor, perhaps, if you know, if you want to have multiple monitors connected to your laptop, if you had the ability to do that. Um, this Steinberg are recommending a display of 1280 by 800, which you might think, well, no problem, everything's got that easy, but not everything has that easy. You know, you can't run it on your second <laughs> monitor if you've got an old monitor. Plugged in. So, yeah, out. pixels, there you go. I'll shut up. <laughs> nice work. And next week on the Pixels blog, <laughs> Sam Freeman, um, let's go to the feature, guys. So, it's in the feature. Um, so it's it's the continuation of my uh, series about how to consider um, uh, creating an audio installation specification for somebody. Um, so last week we talked about the kind of overarching of handling the well three weeks ago whenever it was we talked about the overarching how you handle the uh, the client and start to understand the relationship. And today I thought it'd be fun to just consider just very briefly the um, the discussion which I like to summarize as either snakes or packets. So. One of the big decisions that you generally have to make fairly early on or at least kind of establish what you think is going to be the best solution is whether you want to go with analog cabling in the wall or, as Sam's alluded to, whether you want to go with RJ45 in the wall and then use some sort of Ethernet-based connectivity to provide that stuff. Now, this the summary of it is, is that the cable installation is much cheaper if you go Ethernet because then you're running a single Ethernet cable and in fact, any sort of new buildy building will probably have that all put in place as a default anyway. And that's really, that's nice as an installation. It's lazy and it's cheap and it does work. But my summary would be it's a bad idea and it's a much better idea to stick with a proper audio specialized cable installation with XLR patch base coming out into the room that you're in. And the reason for that is just simply that the audio XLR cabling, which I like to think of as being kind of the, the, the termination boxes for the snakes, that stuff will generally last 30 to 50 years, whereas a RJ45 Ethernet 
based system, the odds of that actual the box that you're going to plug into that working for 50 years is zero. And in fact, there's a good chance that in 10 years' time, the standard will have moved on to something else, and you'll be looking at completely recabling. USB-C. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so my my advice to everybody is always to go the audio route. The other reason, the other thing is, it's also a lot simpler. So, most people can work out how to use an XLR, you know, XLR patch bay on a wall to get signal going where they want it to go. If you present with an Ethernet socket, it's a lot harder for people to work out what to do next. And Scott, can I ask you? Yep. The um, Ethernet setups that you'd get in a new build building mm. are obviously meant for networking between computers. Does that impact um, audio performance? No, it won't as long as the... the two, there's two considerations. First of all, the quality of the cable. A lot of people forget that there is different categories of CAT. So we often refer to CAT5 cable, but in fact there's CAT6E, which is the gigabit rated version. So you'd want the highest rated you want high rated cable in there and the second consideration which makes a lot more difference is if you don't have a direct if you don't have a direct patch bay which allows you to just physically connect two ports in the room to each other and you have to pass everything through a, a router or a switch then you need to make sure that that switch is actually up to the job because pushing live audio from one end of the room to the other end of the room for a network switch is very demanding on the switch so you need to make sure the switch is actually up to the job. And any, who, if you went for a digital solution, then whoever you, you know, whichever solution you went to, will give you a list of these are switches that we have tested and are happy with the performance of. And you're inevitably going to find that those are not the cheap switches. They are going to be the kind of, you know. So it's that kind of thing where you you save a couple of hundred pounds in cabling and then discover that you've actually then spent a thousand pounds on a on a switch and the, and the breakout boxes for either side of the Ethernet cabling. And then it's like, you, you get benefits. There are other benefits of going for the Ethernet, though, because surely it's a bit more flexible in how you route things. And well, whatnot. so the kind of benefits you do get, and an inch, a, a system that I've been involved in putting in somewhere, um, a system I put in place for somewhere, which just one time I've done it so far, is we put an X32 rack into beside the patch, in, beside the switch. And we made it so that you would go from the breakout through the Ethernet to the to the to the mixer, and then you control the mixer from an iPad from anywhere else around the place. So that had no physical desk at all. There was no physical desk in that system at all. The entire the entire kind of audio mixing is going to be done soft because it was a conference environment. So we specified that kind of solution, and that's nice. It's really super elegant and neat, and it's pretty much idiot proof in terms of in that. Also, they they that that place was running on the idea that they were going to generally replace its sort of you know they were looking for five to ten years maximum and then they expected to replace everything again. So I was like, that's the kind of timescale where it's it's okay, you know. I, I was it was for me it was really important. I stressed them massively. I was like, in five years' time, you're going to need to replace this. And if you're happy to do that, then you can take the solution because it does give you lots. There are lots of cool advantages, and they were glad to get rid of the control room space because they got rid of that completely. You know, and I thought that was cool. But it's well, it's like what you said in your last um, in the last part. It's about expectations, and expectations are more than just we'll yeah. have a shiny new system that will work. It's also about the future and about fitting the thing in, the fitting the solution to 
the actual need and the actual space. Yeah. So there we that, go. That's only so. So I I think to summarise it is. The, I generally go in with the default being analog cabling in, and that's done. One of the one of the bizarre features of the analog cabling in is that you can actually you could jerry rig an RJ45 connector on that if you wanted to. You kill the rest of the monocore, but you can actually send RJ45 down it if you if you wish. Um, it's a it's a higher specification cable. But then secondly, if you're gonna suggest to somebody they go to digital solution for pushing the audio from one end of the room to the other end of the room. Then that is a really gutsy call to make, and you've you've either got to have a I'm going to run away a long a long way strategy, or else you're going to be expecting to support that. And retrofitting multi-core cabling into a room is a lot more expensive than putting it in the wall in the first instance. It's, you know, it's it's the classic, isn't it? Where it's like there's no wall, it's really easy to put a cable into it. Now there's a wall, it's really hard work to put a cable into it, even if it's properly kind of partitioned. It's still hard. So. There you go. So that's my suggestion. I'd advise snakes. Maybe some of our listeners think I'm completely, I'm a complete dinosaur, and I should be going for Whizbang Digital Solutions. In which case, you could, uh, you know, you could send us an email, or if you wanted to, or kind of Facebook us or Twitter us to that effect if you want to. And you can find all those uh, contact details at theaudiopodcast.co.uk/slash/show/slash/144. Mm, very good. Thank Thank you, Scott. Is there going to be another part to this? Yeah, I'm sure we keep finding parts. Yeah, why not? Yeah, like, I was going to say body parts. That sounds yeah, exactly. Wrong. Um, <laughs> okay, and then before we head into our final section, uh, any of you guys want to uh, suggest what is in my camera this week? I've been thinking about this. I can see that you've got um, buttons, knobs, and the buttons are labelled save, load, record, utility, sample, program, something, and FX. There's, um... Mm-hmm. Makes me think, and there's a, I can see the edge of a LCD display there. I think it's a sampler, but I don't know which one. And it's blue-faced. Yamaha. Is it a Yamaha sampler? It's not a Yamaha sampler. Oh. But it is a sampler. I mean, it says sample on it, so yes, it's a sampler of some kind. This is a tricky one, actually, because... Is it an Aki sampler? A-K-I. It, it's an Akai sampler. Yeah. And if it wasn't Yamaha, it had to be Akai. Any, any get well. Also, Emu did samplers. Don't forget that. Yeah, that's not an Emu. It doesn't sample. look like an Emu though. That's not with those knobs. But it doesn't look like a normal old school Akai either, does it? Well, well, there. But okay, so um, using process of elimination, how can you figure out which sampler this is? Without Google, I just wait until you tell us. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this is actually the faceplate of a Z8 sampler. And this is so that's why it's tricky because it's not. This isn't actually the module. This is like a detachable. Oh, like a, it's a detachable part which has all the controls on it and connects to the main module. So, uh, so there you go. It had so, a, turn it over. Let's see the back of it then. The back of it. Yeah. It's just, classic audio. So it's just yeah, kind of like like what you'd have on an old car or not so old car stereo kind of thing. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, yeah. It's got a, a DIN port to plug into the main unit there, um, and if I move it along a bit, you can see a few more things. There's the Akai logo in the bottom. Um, had a, 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 a little brother called the Z4, and the Z4 didn't have the re- the removable mm-hmm. panel. That was all done on the front. Um, on the front panel of it, but uh, what but sort yeah. of vintage is this? How old is it? When when was so this? This new? is July 02. 
This is yeah. This is, this is this is post. This is the model they released after the S five thousand six thousand. The six thousand had a removable faceplate as well. Um, twenty four ninety six possible. Was it twenty four ninety? Yeah, twenty four ninety six sampling. It's uh, got a hard drive inbuilt USB connector for uh, extra storage or to plug a keyboard in. Um, inbuilt effects. Uh, ADAT. Uh, board option or multiple analog output option. Yeah. Does it still work? It does still work. Um, I've just plumbed it into. Well, I haven't plumbed it in yet, but I've put it in my rack. So I'm not, I'm not going to show you my rack because otherwise you'll be able to spot some other things, which um, <laughs> will help you in future weeks. Um, but this yeah, it, it's in. It's in the rack. It should work fine. Um, I have to get a replacement cable to connect the faceplate. I've ordered that already. Um, and the interesting thing about this sampler was they made it with kind of stock elements. So it has a stock mini DIN connector to connect the faceplate. It used uh, standard SD RAM from a computer rather than a special type of RAM. Um, so yeah. it made it a bit easier to upgrade. So how how everyone? I have I have the price. I, I have the I have the sound and sound article for it. So. There's a the sound and sound review from July 02 in front of me, which has the price. Do you guys want to have a guess how much it was? Uh, well, I read the review recently. So. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> Even that's though, how we can't play this game. Then. Um, I think I might have forgotten how much it is though. Have you got a contemporary price though? Is what's like the, the what's the resale? Oh, no, I, I, yeah, yeah, I don't know what the contemporary price is. It was just shy of two grand new. Is that it? One nine nine nine, and that was with either a. Digital board or an analog board yep. installed, I yeah. think. And That's the Z4 right. was like 1500 uh, No, uh, 1300 for the Z4 and 1899 for the Z8. So, just shy to uh, How about that? Okay. Now, you see, actually, I like this sampler a lot, but um, I'm, I'm keeping my eye out for a Yamaha A5000 sampler, oh, which is yes. similar kind of vintage, maybe just slightly older, but uh, an interesting. Um, an interesting one. It had a slightly different sample topography. Ooh. There we go. Um, 8,500, yeah, man. They were amazing. Join, join us next week, and I'll probably have another piece of my studio on the camera. Okay. <laughs> and let's head into the plunder. Let's let's keep going. Let's keep going. Uh, let's wow. head straight into the plunder here. Um, first of all, what, one item for myself here. Uh, CNN has an article about the dangers of hearing loss. From exposure to loud music, you're like, yeah, whatever, Scott, we all know that. Um, with a particular focus on the in-ear earbuds. This so. is perennial. This has been, I remember being about 10 years old and then saying, don't put your headphones on too loud. Um, yeah, public service, isn't it? Tell people that you're going to break your ears. I've got, I've got, um, I've, I've got even more camera-based stuff, but for the audio podcast podcast listeners, I'm now holding up in front of my camera the... Um, my little earbuds that I take when I go to any loud music events. They are yeah. linear frequency response, molded things, pop in there and basically turn the volume down by about 20 dB, but without muffling it, which is quite nice. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, the, the CNN article, though, makes the point that you should probably listen to less than one hour of your mobile device on full volume in your ears. So if you have a tendency to listen to your iPod on full volume, then anything more than an hour a day is probably very bad for your head. Your Actually, I think my interpretation, I've not got it loaded right now, but my interpretation was never more than 60% volume, and even then only for an hour. Oh, um, yeah, well, yes, no, I think that was, yeah, that, that was, 
Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm communicating the really you shouldn't do this, and you're communicating the what you should do, aren't you? Yes, that's. And that's of course, um, I, I suppose I will put this tip forward. If you get some good headphones with noise reduction, noise cancelling, then you can actually turn down the volume of your device as yeah, well. It, it just automatically happens because you don't have to overcome the sound from outside. The outside. So um, I have my, my tasty AKG noise cancelling headphones. You can have the in-ear type that seal the ports um, up to you, but the, those help. I would yep. suggest. So even passive, I've got the near ones that I have that I use are um, on-stage monitor type ones, so they're designed so that you can hear what you're doing without the outside noise stopping it, so they kind of act like air, but air defenders as well as putting sound through, so you can run them much less loud. Um, okay, more plunder. Plunder from me. This was um, my friend Ben posted this towards me at some point this week. He's a guitarist, and on Premier Guitar, there is a an article that points towards the idea and the existence of multi-track masters in the wild. So um, it's a brief discussion of the ability and to listen to classic recordings such as Beatles and Rolling Stones stuff, but with individual, be able to hear the individual tracks. So being able to solo the guitars or whatever. Mm. Um, yeah, I, it's there to read. It's interesting. And that comes about because of games like Rock Band and. Guitar Hero and that yep. kind of thing. Mm. Well, that's the that's that's the theory they're offering, isn't it? I'm saying essentially, somebody's got a hold of the multi track masters and put them online. So, yeah, yeah. And probably because they became available for the game developers at some stage in the recent past. Yeah, yeah. And I I wonder if they what what quality what format and quality audio file they use for those games. If they actually just use a very high MP3. Or if they're actually doing 1644 WAV or AFE, considering that you have to download a lot of those games or download updates to them, I'd go for as small as possible. But I don't know. Is there anything about that? Um, not in this article. That's, that would require further research, I think. Mm, good. Uh, I thought it was a cool piece of plunder in that it's it's a nice article that reminds that reminds us, and I suspect that a lot of our listeners was already aware of, was the fact that. In the same way that there's large amounts of MP3 music floating around the place that you should pay for and you don't, you can get without paying for it illegally, there are also multi-track masters floating around the internet, which you can pay for as well. Though I, I am, I am prompted to think it's appropriate for us to remind everybody of the Cambridge, um, Cambridge Music, um, what the website where you can get multi-track masters legitimately uh, for free. Yes, came. Ah, uh, yeah. I've, oh no, I point students to listen to it all the time. Um, in, next, would... in next week's plunder, we'll put it in next week's plunder as next a week's plunder, I say. That's, yeah. a, that's a good link to do. Now, uh, talking of research, um, if you're into music research, uh, music technology research, any kind of research like that, we've got a book recommendation for you. And Ooh. that is the book. Uh, Audio Culture. Cox and Daniel Warner's Audio Culture Readings in Modern Music. Modern, modern music. Now, of course, I, I read this because, of course, we've all done PhDs. We're all doctors here on the, uh, <laughs> on the audio podcast. Um, and I read. I don't think I got all the way through this, but I read most of this book. Um, and what's interesting about this book? What uh, I think is a good. It's a good book to start on. Is that it covers such a wide ground? It, it covers lots of classic texts 
classic music mm. ideas, experimental music ideas, music technology ideas, and from people who you might have also recognised the names of. So they're not. Uh, there'll be some obscure things in there, but you know you've got um, abridged articles by. Um, Brian Eno, uh, John Cage, John Zorn, um, and then people who are important in the development of music and music technology who you might not have heard of, like um, R. Murray Schaefer, Pierre Schaefer, um, and people kind of like that. Um, I know that, Scott, you said you read this book. Yes, I, I, I read it as well quite a a number of years ago, but I did read it, and it's certainly it's certainly worth for it. You're absolutely right, and that it provides a nice way of getting a broad kind of contextualization of a whole load of material. So that's yeah. I mean, you know, it covers future futurist in music, which was kind of like World War mm. One kind of time, uh, experimental music, music concrete, um, ambient music, um, open form music. Uh, and even stuff like you know plunderphonics and uh, dub and yeah it's a, it's a, it's nicely done uh, basically each chapter is either a full or abridged article classic article on the su on the yeah. subject that it's about cool uh, and yeah worth worth checking out awesome stuff there we go and i think that brings us to the end of the plunder does it not and, and to the end of the show, which is good, because I've used 92% of my battery during the show. I didn't plug it in at the beginning. So. <laughs> You'd have uh, trouble if you uh, were using a MacBook with only one USB-C port. <laughs> real okay. So don't forget, you can uh, subscribe to the audio podcast. On, you can get us on iTunes, YouTube, Gpodder, Stitcher, and other things as well, actually. But I, we, we haven't updated our subscribe link, so we'll get that done in this coming week. Uh, but we're kind of increasingly all over the place, which is cool. Um, yeah, that's awesome okay. stuff. Don't this has been. Can, well, don't forget you can contact us as well. Oh, yes. Sorry. Uh, show at theaudiopodcast.co.uk for email and Twitter at theaudiopodcast. That is indeed the case. Mm -hmm. So, this has been the Audio Podcast Show 144, Tap Trio Treat. I've been Scott Hewitt. I'm Samuel Freeman. And I am and shall continue to be Adam Yanch. Thanks Great. for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.